I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. Um, if you need a Bible, we want, to, we want to make sure that you have the scriptures in front of you, whether that's on your device or in a, in a physical book in front of you. So if you need one, I want to invite you to just uh, walk to the side of, uh, either side of the room and grab a Bible off the shelf there. Uh, if you have one of the black Bibles, it's on page 822, Jonah chapter 4, okay? Uh, we're going to be finishing up. Uh, the, this book, uh, we're, we're, uh, we've gone a, a chapter a week. We had a week in there where we didn't have service because of the crazy winter weather. Uh, and so now we are here finishing up chapter four. Last week we were in chapter three and we saw God graciously give Jonah a second chance and, and, and to, go to, to go to Nineveh after Jonah disobeyed and ran away from God uh, in chapters one and two. And then we also saw jo- uh, uh, excuse me, God graciously give the Ninevites a second chance when Jonah went into the city and preached a message of judgment against them. What did they, they do? They wholeheartedly believed that message and they responded with faith and repentance, in, uh, faith in God and repentance of their sin. And God relented from sending disaster that, they, that he had uh, threatened them with. This morning in chapter four, we're gonna see Jonah's response to God's response, to the Ninevites' response. Does that make sense? We're gonna see Jonah's response uh, to God concerning God's response to the Ninevites and what they did in response to the message that God sent Jonah to send. We're gonna find out, finally, the reason why Jonah actually fled and ran in the other direction in the first place. We haven't been told that until, until now, in chapter four. And through all this, we're gonna see what it is that Jonah really cares about and what it is that God really cares about. And then that's gonna challenge each one of us to, to honestly consider what it is that we actually really care about. So, not a lot of verses here. I wanna read it in its entirety. And then I wanna pray and ask the Lord for help and then we'll jump in together. Chapter four, Jonah. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still with my own, in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head and rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? Father, thank you for your word. 
Lord, thank you that it conveys the truth about our sin, our need for grace, the truth of where that grace comes from and in who that grace comes from. Thank you that we can come to you now, believing in your word, being changed by your spirit, that we might remember that we have been recipients of this grace, not because we have uh, fit the bill as those who earn it, but because we fit the bill of those who need it. We pray this morning that through your word and your spirit, you would give us a greater heart like yours and less and less like Jonah's. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You and I, we care about a lot of things. We care about a lot of things. We care about the well-being of our loved ones. We care about gas prices. We care about our favorite sports teams. We care about our lawns. We care about our personal freedoms. We care when somebody cuts us off in traffic. Anybody there? That one? Yeah. Um, We care about when we see the poor and the weak being taken advantage of by the rich and the powerful. We care about our reputation. We care when we see hypocrisy, especially in elected officials. We care about our health. We care when someone puts the empty cereal box back in the cabinet. We care about our job security. We care about comfort. We care about how we are affected by the decisions that other people make. We could keep going. I want you to think, what are the things that you care about? See, we care about things because we all have these personal beliefs about what is right and what is wrong, what is bad and what is good. These beliefs that we hold form this personal system of justice in our minds and hearts. And when that system gets violated, what happens? We get angry, don't we? We have little room for compassion and a whole lot of room for anger. It's one thing for us to care about something. It's another thing for us to determine how much we ought to care about that thing. And it's a whole other thing for us to determine which things we ought to care about more than others. You, You see, like, not everything in that list that I just read is of equal value. Not everything in that list is, are, are things that we should care about in the same ways, right? What we're going to see in our passage this morning is also the same truth, that not everything here that is worth caring about is worth caring about in the same degree or in the same way. Chapter 3 ends with God forgiving the Ninevites instead of destroying them, and chapter 4 begins by telling us how Jonah feels about that. Now, uh, normally at this point, I would give you uh, the main point summary of the sermon, but the main point of this whole thing is actually a question at the end. And so I- I'm just going to hold out on you for that, okay? And I want you to follow along with me. We're just going to be uh, uh, observance in this scene here, and then, uh, Lord willing, we'll recognize that we're actually participants in this scene, and we'll be confronted with this question at the end that we can't afford not to answer So let's dig in. Uh, We're going to read back through a little bit at a time. uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He's angry. The Hebrew text of this verse literally says, it was evil to Jonah as a great wrong. Now, when we consider what Jonah is doing right here and who he's responding to, that's a very serious statement, isn't it? 
He's responding to what God just did. And it's a great evil to him. Something seriously wrong. Psalm 119.68 tells us that God is good and he does what is good. We've, we've uh, rehearsed that verse often here. But Jonah's not having any of that right now. He thinks that God's response to the Ninevites is a terrible and wicked thing. God violated Jonah's justice system and Jonah is livid. He's angry. This is a great wrong you've done to me, Lord. This is evil. In Jonah's justice system, if you're one of Israel's worst enemies, which the Ninevites are, and if you're full of evil, which the Ninevites are, we were told that in chapter one, then you deserve to be destroyed by the Lord, not rescued by him. What happened to the Ninevites? God relented from sending the disaster. He did not do it. That's how chapter three ends. Let's keep going. Verse two. Jonah prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? This prayer has a much different tone doesn't it, than the prayer that we saw Jonah pray in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Jonah prayed a thank you prayer to God for rescuing him, right? This is not a thank you prayer. This is an I told you so prayer. We finally get to hear the reason why Jonah fled toward Tarshish in the first place, and it turns out that reason actually has more to do with uh, who God is in Jonah's eyes than who the Ninevites are in Jonah's eyes. And Jonah's mad. He's mad at God for staying true to his character. In Exodus 34, God revealed his glory to Moses by declaring his name and describing the character that comes behind that name that's reflective of the Lord, capital L, capital O-R-D in your Bible. That's Yahweh. That is the name of God. And in the, and in the Old Testament, in the whole uh, of Scripture, when, when a name is declared, there is meaning behind that name. It speaks of someone's character and nature. And God himself declared his character and nature when he declared his name. In Exodus 34, 5 through 7, the Lord came down on a cloud, stood with him, being Moses, there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, uh, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He will not leave, though, the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. When Jonah was sinking to the bottom of the sea in chapter 2 because of his own iniquity, rebellion, and sin, he needed the God who was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, didn't he? One who relents from sending disaster, and that's exactly what God did for Jonah. The fish was full of grace. But when Jonah walked into Nineveh with the message of judgment against them for their iniquity, their sin, their rebellion. He wanted God to be the one who will not leave the guilty unpunished. 
And after God showed the Ninevites the same mercy that he showed Jonah, Jonah prays, quote-unquote, this I told you so prayer. He's essentially praying, man, I knew it. I knew you would do this. Isn't this what I said would happen? You're supposed to punish the guilty, right? But as soon as you told me to go to Nineveh, I knew it. I knew that you were going to relent and forgive them. That's why I fled in the opposite direction, as if he actually needs to explain to God himself his own motives. I don't want any part of it, Lord. This is ridiculous. They don't deserve to be forgiven. You made the wrong choice, Lord. What you did is evil in my sight. Isn't that peculiar? Now, now this book is a book of satirical irony. So yeah, we're chuckling at this, right? Because what does the Lord say about the Ninevites in chapter one? Their evil has come up before me. And what is Jonah doing right here? Your evil has come up before me, Lord. He's so mad. He can't even see straight. He doesn't know what's going on here, right? And now, Lord, take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. In other words, listen, if you're not gonna kill them, then kill me. Put me out of my misery. That would be a better use of your compassion. We laugh because this is really uncomfortable, isn't it? If you were standing next to Jonah while he's praying this I told you so prayer, you'd be like. Like every time he says something and you just take off running in the other direction because who talks to God like that? Especially a prophet of God who knows what the Lord means, what his name means. This is bold. It's audacious. It's arrogant. It's forgetful. Don't you just want to yell out to Jonah, hey, listen, what are you doing, right? Like, like what, are you, are, are you crazy? How can you talk to God this way? This is God. Don't you know what he's done for you, Jonah? Haven't you been reading your story? But Jonah isn't thinking about what God has done for him because Jonah is so busy thinking about what God has not done for him. He wants God to punish his enemies, but God is rescuing them Instead, and Jonah's ticked. Has God ever done something that you didn't want him to do? How did you respond to him? Did your prayer sound more like Psalm 119.68? Lord, I don't understand this, but I know that you are good and you do what is good. The rest of that verse says, teach me your statutes. Right? Lord, help me understand or did your prayer sound more like Jonah's prayer here? Lord, isn't this what I said would happen? I don't even know why I asked you for it. I told you so, God. No. I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only one that's prayed a prayer like that in here. But I'm ready to confess to you that I have in my mind. Sometimes we just get so stuck in what we think is best, that we're not pay, willing to pay attention to God's infinite wisdom and grace to show us what actually is. I think we've all been brash with God, like Jonah has 
is being here. If you or I, let's just put ourselves in God's place for a minute. If, we, if, if Jonah talked to us like that and he's like, you know what, just kill me. I'd be like, all right. I don't have to listen to this. Aren't you glad I'm not God? I'm really glad you aren't either. We'd probably just kill him right where he stood. But praise God that we are not God and that God is the one who truly knows what is better for us. Even when we say, Lord, this is better, God is willing to say, no, it's not. No, it's not. Instead of killing Jonah right then and there, the God who is slow to anger patiently asks Jonah if it's right for him to be angry at God for saving his enemies. But Jonah doesn't answer the question, does he? I don't see one there. So let's keep reading. Verse 5. Jonah left the city and he found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and he sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Oh man, he is stubborn, right? He's like the kid on the playground who takes his ball and goes home when he doesn't get his way. He just leaves and he goes out to the, to the, to the, the sandy hillside. Just sits there. He doesn't go home. He's too stubborn to do that. He still wants the city to be destroyed. He's holding out the hope that the Ninevites will repent from their repenting or God will relent from his relenting. He's holding out this hope that his own justice system will prevail. So he builds himself a little shelter to give himself a little relief and he sits there and he stews in the hot desert heat. And after Jonah gives God the cold shoulder and the Ninevites the evil eye long enough God finally realizes that Jonah is right and he sends fire down from heaven and consumes the city while Jonah watches from a safe distance. Are you following along with me? Because that's not what happened. Let's keep going. Verse six. Then the Lord appointed a, a plant that grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. God asked Jonah, hey, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right. He replied, I'm angry enough to die. Poor Jonah. Poor Jonah. His makeshift shelter is no match for the intensity of the sun. It's really hot sitting there in the desert sand waiting for God to come to his senses and destroy the city like he should. Right? Ah, but God can provide for us so much better than we can provide for ourselves, can he? So what does God do? I mean, after all, he is compassionate and gracious, isn't he? What did he do for Jonah? He provided a plant that brought Jonah some much-needed relief. Jonah tried to do it on his own, built this shelter that didn't work. In a day, God grew a plant that did all that Jonah needed. But is it gracious and compassionate to give something to someone and then turn right around and take it away from them? 
that feels like something a kid would do, right? I think that I've, I've, I've parented some situations like that. Well, we need to take a closer look at what's happening here. God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah and provided shade for his head. Then God appointed a worm to eat the plant and kill it, removing the shade from Jonah's head. And then God appointed a scorching east wind that dehydrated Jonah as the sun beat down on his head so much that he almost fainted. Appointed, appointed, appointed. That word shows up four times in the book of Jonah. Three of them are right here that we just read in these verses. You remember where the other one was? Back in chapter one, when God appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. One of the major themes in this book is God's sovereign rule over all creation. Not only did he create all things, but he controls all things. And we can see God exercising his control over his creation all throughout this book. The seas, the fish, the plant, the worm, the wind, and the sun. God uses all of these things for Jonah's good, but only the plant actually brings Jonah comfort. Apart from his prayer in chapter 2, this is literally the only thing Jonah is happy about in this entire book. Everything else makes him miserable. Why is that? Notice what it says in verse 6. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. This is wordplay. This is, this is uh, satirical irony which this book is full of, right? This is a direct contrast to verse one where he says he was greatly displeased at God's kindness to the Ninevites. But here he was greatly pleased at God's kindness to him. But God's kindness to Jonah isn't to rescue him from physical discomfort like Jonah thinks it is in the moment. Verse six uh, says that God sent the plant to provide shade for Jonah's head to rescue him from his, what? Trouble. The Hebrew word for trouble here is used throughout this book in other places, and it's translated as evil, disaster, trouble. You see, God's kindness to Jonas to Jonah is to kindness to Jonah is to expose Jonah's hard-hearted selfishness and to rescue him from that. Jonah just wants relief from the shade. God's saying, listen, this is not what this plant is for. I'm going to rescue you from your trouble, a.k.a. your evil. I'm going to relent from sending disaster to you, Jonah. The storm, the fish, the plant, the worm, the wind, and the sun, these are all God's gifts of uncomfortable grace. Did you know grace can be uncomfortable? Uncomfortable grace toward Jonah. They're meant to turn Jonah's focus off of himself and remind him of the faithful love and mercy of God that has been shown to him when he didn't deserve it. But how does Jonah respond to God's faithful love and mercy here? He gets angry, again, at God for taking away the one thing that made him happy. And once again, he wants to die. In essence, this time he's saying, listen, you took away my plant. That was mine. Now take away my life. Put me out of my misery, Lord. That would be gracious. Once again, Jonah asks, or excuse me, God asks Jonah 
Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? In verse four, the question was in regard to God's decision to save Jonah's enemies. This time it's in regard to God's decision to, jo- to destroy Jonah's comfort. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about what I save? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about what I ch- destroy? Whose choice is it, Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah didn't answer the first time, the question, but this time he's not about to stay quiet. He's just like full force into this, right? You bet it's right. Yeah, it's right. I'm angry. I'm angry enough to die. You ever tried to reason with a toddler? So that's a yes. Isn't that what this feels like? Jonah's fed up with everything that God is doing because it's the exact opposite of what he wants God to do. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to perish and God allowed them to live. Jonah wanted the plant to live and God let it perish. And now all Jonah wants to do is die over and over and over again, but God won't take his life. In Jonah's mind, he has every right to be angry at God because Jonah knows best. But instead of killing Jonah right then and there, do you see the steadiness of God here? This God who is slow to anger, gracious and compassionate, abounding in faithful love, asked Jonah the same thing over and over and over again. And instead of killing Jonah, every time Jonah wants to be killed, God just comes back with a question. And in these last verses, he comes back with one final question that really gets to the true heart of the matter, that Jonah can't escape and neither can you or I. Look at the last two verses, 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and it perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals. See, Jonah's system of justice has a fundamental flaw. He's at the center of it. And throughout this entire story, he's convinced himself that he is right, that God is wrong, that he is good, and the Ninevites are bad, and that's left him little room for compassion and a whole lot of room for anger. But now the Lord is not just asking questions. He's pointing out the reality. He's setting the record straight. Jonah, listen, you cared about this plant. You cared about this plant that's here one day and gone the next. Did you create it, Jonah? You didn't. Did you work for it, Jonah? You didn't. It it provided more shade than the shelter you did work for. You didn't cultivate it. You didn't do anything for this. The only attachment you have to it is that it briefly made you feel better, gave you just a little bit of relief. You cared about the plant that you did not create, Jonah. May I not care about the people that I did create? Aren't people more important than plants, Jonah? Aren't even animals more important than plants? 
If the plant hadn't met your needs, Jonah, would you have even cared about it? What if it was like just out of reach and it was shady over here and you're like, I built my shelter right here. I don't want to move. Jonah, is there anything you care about more than yourself? It's interesting, isn't it, that throughout this entire book, Jonah has been nothing but angry with God. This prophet of God has been nothing but angry with God, and God has been nothing but patient with Jonah. Isn't that just like God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster? God could have killed Jonah at any point. He was literally sinking to the bottom of the sea at the end of chapter one. And God appointed the fish. God could have killed him at any point in this story, but he didn't. He relented from sending disaster just like he did with the Ninevites who cannot distinguish between their right and their left. Now listen, it's not that the Ninevites didn't know the difference between right and wrong. That's not what that's saying. Pastor Ben read, read the, the, the uh, passage from 1 Timothy this morning for our prayer time, and the Apostle Paul says, I thank God for giving me this ministry even though I was once a blasphemer, right? And what does he say? I acted in ignorance and unbelief. You know what sin does? It makes us ignorant. It makes us unable. It makes us not believe things. Sin makes us call right things wrong and wrong things right. We don't know the difference between our right and our left because of our sin. Isn't that what Jonah's been doing through this entire book? Apparently, it's not actually the Ninevites by themselves who cannot tell the difference between their right and their left. Jonah's the same way. And so are you and so am I. The Ninevites' judgment is clouded with wickedness. The Jonah's judgment is clouded by self-righteousness. You know what both of those things are? Sin. They're clouded by sin. But God's judgment is perfectly clear. In Exodus 33, when Moses asked to see God's glory, God told Moses, right before he came down and pronounced his name in chapter 34, he said, I will cause all my goodness... Lord, you are good and you do what is good, right? I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name, my name, the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You know what he's saying there? It's my choice, not yours. It's my choice, not yours. And whenever God chooses to be gracious and compassionate toward anyone, it has nothing to do with who they are and everything to do with who God is. God knows that like the plant, we are here today and gone the next. He knows that in light of his eternal existence, our lives are but a vapor. We see this language all over in scripture. We are like the flowers of the grass that wither and fade. But God created us, and he cares about us. He cares for us. And when we turned our backs on him in our sin, do you know, even though it was right for God to be angry with you and me because of that, what did he do? What did he do? I will be gracious on whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And that's what he chose. He 
He chose grace and compassion by appointing his son to rescue us from our trouble, not our discomfort from our evil, from our sin. In his sovereign rule, God exercised his control over the elements of the cosmos and the events of history to send his son at just the right time while we were still helpless in our sin, unable to distinguish between our right and our left. Jesus looked on us with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. And even as wicked men nailed the Holy One to the cross, do you know what he said? Forgive them, Father. They do not know what they're doing. Father, they cannot distinguish between their right and their left. Forgive them. In his abounding faithful love, Jesus knew that it would be better for him to die. Not to end his misery, but to end ours. Through his death on the cross, Jesus took our sin and, and our guilt upon himself, and he suffered the punishment that we deserve. We rightly deserve God's anger, but Jesus willingly died under that righteous anger of God the Father so that we could be forgiven for all of our sin and reconciled to God forever. This is grace and compassion, and we have received that forgiveness because we've put our hope in Jesus. That's what we come to celebrate every week. And he rose from the dead because the payment was finished, and he proved his innocence it's not Jesus' fault he died, it's ours. But now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. This is grace. This is compassion. Have you put your hope in this Jesus? I hope you will if you haven't. And you don't have to wait. You can do it right now. Here's what you need to do. You need to recognize that your sin is reason for God to be angry. God's anger is not like our anger. It's good. Because he is good and he does what is good. If he doesn't punish wrongdoing, he's not a just God. You recognize that God is right to be angry with you because of your sin. Where does that leave you? Well, if you look to Jesus, that leaves you in a place of incredible hope. Right? You get to see from Christ himself, God in the flesh, what God's grace and compassion looks like, why God is slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending his disaster because he readily sent his son. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, you can freely confess, along with us, the rest of us in here, your sin, and you can trust Jesus, to forgive you of all of it. You see this morning that God cares about you. He cares about you because he created you and he created you to care about him. So you can turn from your sin and you can entrust yourself to Christ. Now this book ends with a question that God poses and Jonah doesn't answer. Have you ever listened to a song that doesn't resolve at the end? Right? Here's an example. Happy birthday to... It's annoying, isn't it? You can hear that ending note in your mind and, and as the final measures leading up to it, but then it never comes, right? The song ends and it leaves you to finish the note. 
Well, something similar is happening here at the end of this book. This story ends unresolved. It ends with a question because ultimately that question needs to be resolved in our own hearts. Yeah, it would be great to hear what Jonah's answer to that is, but we need to understand what our answer to that is. God says, may I not care? Throughout this entire book, the pagan sailors and the Ninevites, people who have no care about God whatsoever, they've been more open to God's compassion than the Israelite prophet has. How open are you to this compassion? Do you care about what God cares about? Do you care about who God cares about? Are you okay with God loving your enemies? Aren't you glad God loves his enemies? As those who were once his enemies because of our sin and now reconciled to God because of his son, shouldn't we care about those who are still his enemies and need to be reconciled to him, even if they are our enemies too? If we think the salvation is just for us and not for them, then perhaps we need to reevaluate whether or not we truly understand God's grace, whether our heart is really like God's or like Jonah's. I find this quote from Paul Tripp to be very helpful for my own heart. He says, it is... And has always been true that no one gives grace better than a person who is deeply persuaded that he needs it himself and that it has been graciously supplied by a God of tender mercy. Are you deeply persuaded of your need for God's grace? Jonah would rather die than live with a God who forgives his enemies. We just need to understand that for a minute. Jonah wants justice for his enemies, but mercy for himself. Jonah is quick to be angry with God for being slow to anger with the Ninevites. Jonah has quickly forgotten about the grace that has been supplied to him by a God of tender mercy, hasn't he? But oh, don't we quickly forget like Jonah. Who are your Ninevites? Who are the people that you'd rather see get the justice they deserve than the grace that they don't, like that person that cuts you off in traffic and you're just praying that there's a cop right up around the corner, right? Who are those people? Is it Russia? Iran? Palestinians? Israel? Democrats? Republicans? Biden? Trump, the guy at work, I was actually getting to that one, LGBT, abortion advocates, your boss, your coworker, somebody in your classroom, school officials, people who live in this town, your neighbor, a family member, your ex. How about somebody in this room? May God not care about those people. Hasn't God cared about you? Shouldn't you care about them? 
You see, this book isn't about a fish. It's not even about Jonah, even though that, the book is named after him. This book is about the God who loves his enemies and pours out his sovereign grace on undeserving sinners of all kinds. Sinners like me, sinners like you, sinners like the Ninevites, sinners like Jonah. Lost people matter to God. Isn't that great news? That is great news. And if they matter to the God who showed us compassion and mercy and grace, then they ought to matter to us too. Why? Because we were lost until God poured out his sovereign grace on us. See, we care about a lot of things. But if we don't care about the people who don't care about us, that's easy to do, right? If we don't care about our enemies, then I wonder if we really have a heart like God's. We know that he's gracious. We know that he's compassionate. We know that he's slow to anger. We know that he's a abounding in faithful love and one who relents from sending disaster. We know this because it tells us over and over in scripture and we know this because we've experienced it ourselves, right? So is it right for us to be angry with God for being who he is? Well, Father, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord, to see your grace not just for us. Lord, rescue us from the belief that, that it is for us because we've earned it. And help us, Lord, look on others who, who look on us with hatred even, who annoy us, who are frustrating, who we have something against or who has something against us. Lord, would you help us look on them with the same compassion that you have looked on us with? Would you help us to love the people you love, to care about the things you care about? Yes, punishing the guilty. You made that abundantly clear when you punished your son in our place. You did not turn your back on sin and look the other way. You saw all of it, and your son paid for it. What grace. Father, we pray this morning that you would give us a heart like yours, even though we recognize our heart tends to be like Jonah's. And as people who are recipients of this grace, who recognize our need for it, would you help us more and more be people who extend that grace to others because we know this God to be gracious and compassionate, steadfast in love, abounding in faithfulness, one who relents from sending disaster. And Father, would you save people, use us to, to preach this message of salvation, this good news of the gospel about the God who is good and who does what is good and has shown that most clearly through his son, Jesus Christ. And would you help us to joyfully see and savor every single time you pour that grace out on someone else who doesn't deserve it just like we don't deserve it and you bring them into your kingdom. Make us people of grace. We love you and we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, the one who is grace, amen.